Let me invite you to turn once again to the New Testament Gospel of Matthew and now to the second chapter, Matthew chapter 2. Just a few moments ago we left off reading at the end of the first chapter and so we will pick up now with the very next verses, Matthew 2, and we'll read verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Father, as we turn to this familiar passage at this season of the year, we pray that you would once again come and open our eyes and open our hearts to understand what it is that you are saying to us through this passage. God, speak to us. We pray, help me to be your mouthpiece, to be faithful. Grant unction. God, grant a word that we would know was from you today, that we would leave glad that we came, that we would leave saying that was exactly what I needed to hear. Do that for us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I thought about this passage this week and the giving of gifts that is contained in it, I began to wonder about the origins of our custom of Christmas gift giving. Why do we put presents under the tree at this particular time of the year? Does the custom really have roots in the gold, frankincense, and myrrh brought by these wise men all those years ago? Or does the custom come from somewhere else? I'm tempted to think that it was invented by some historical version of the modern department store. So I did a little bit of perusing of the internet and found that our modern tradition of gift giving at Christmas seems to be a bit like a river that's fed by a handful of different streams. 
The gifts of these wise men do seem to play a factor in our present custom, as surely do the greed and commercialism of wealthy global Westerners. Also, uh, the tradition of St. Nicholas, that generous Christian bishop of the 3rd and 4th centuries, whose feast day is in the month of December. And further, some have suggested, probably not without merit, that there were pre-Christian traditions of gift-giving connected with the December festival of one of the pagan gods of Rome that were probably also woven in later into Christian practice sometime after the coming of Jesus. So Christmas gift-giving seems to have a long history, a varied history, um, and in some ways a good history. But one thing is certain when we think about Christmas gift-giving, there were gifts given that first Christmas, right? Christmas, that first year, was a time for the giving of gifts. We notice this perhaps most readily in verse 11. After coming into the house, they, the Magi, saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These magi, or wise men, as the King James Version calls them, presented the baby Jesus, not only famously with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but they also gave to him their worship, didn't they? They fell to the ground and worshipped him. So there were gifts that first Christmas, but then, of course, far greater than the gift that the Magi gave to Jesus is the gift that the Lord gave to mankind, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to be born in Bethlehem, to be laid in a manger, to be named Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, to be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. This, of course, is the greatest Christmas gift, right? And the greatest of all gifts, the Lord Jesus himself. And we'll come back in a few moments and think a little bit more about this greatest of all gifts. And we'll come back and think a little bit more about the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that were given to him. But before we do that, I want you to notice another gift that is given in Matthew chapter 2. Did you notice it as we read? Did you see any other gift that was given that first Christmas time? Let me give you a hint from the pages of the Old Testament and particularly from the second psalm. Listen to the promise that the Father makes there to his Son. Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my Son. Today, I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. Did you hear it? There's a gift being promised in Psalm 2 from the Father to his son. And did you see the father giving it that first Christmas time here in Matthew chapter 2? Let me give you another hint that will help you see it from Psalm 107. 
where we learn a bit more about this gift of the nations that the Father promised to his only begotten Son. Psalm 107, verses 2 and 3. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. So the nations that God is gathering together to give to his Son as his inheritance are going to come, did you hear it? from the north and from the south, from the west and from the east. Now do you see clearly the gift that is being given from the Father to His Son in Matthew 2, from the east? The promises that were made way back in the Psalms are being fulfilled, beginning to be fulfilled as the Lord gives to his infant son here in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 these magi from the east who saw his star and have come to worship him. The promises are now beginning to be fulfilled. The nations which the Lord promised to give to his son as a gift, as his inheritance, are now beginning to come and fall to the ground and worship him. What a Christmas gift the Lord gave to his son, one that he's still giving to him today as the cause of world missions goes forth. And as more and more people from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, learn of Jesus through our missionaries and fall to the ground and worship he who has been born King of the Jews. King of the Jews, we read here, and yet given the nations as his inheritance. And the inheritance begins to come in on this starry night in Bethlehem when these magi from the east saw his star and came to worship him. Note that well. Christmas is a missionary holiday. Christmas is a missionary celebration. Christmas is not just about Bethlehem in Judea, but it's also about all the ends of the earth who now begin to trickle into God's kingdom that first Christmas. God's Christmas gift to his son was and continues to be the nation's. And I want you to remember that this Christmas and every Christmas. When you read of these wise men coming from the east and making their way to the child in Bethlehem, or when you see them depicted in a nativity scene or on the front of a Christmas card, I want you to remember that this is the very heartbeat of the Heavenly Father. He has promised his son, I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. And there are a few better pictures of God doing that, of God fulfilling that promise, of God giving that gift than these magi from the east. You can picture them perhaps traveling in with a caravan of camels. Maybe there were turbans on their heads and sashes around their Waste, born and bred in pagan lands, but now by the grace and the providence of a missionary God, bowing to the ground to worship the Son of the one true God. That's missions, isn't it? And that's Christmas. 
and the two, therefore, are irreversibly tied together. And they should be tied together in our, on our own hearts. Which brings me now to the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that these men brought. One of the great lessons which these wise men have to teach us, of course, is that when we have recognized that Jesus is king, it is altogether fitting, verse 11, that we not only bow to the ground and worship him, but it is altogether fitting also that we open our treasures and present to him gifts. And I think you can perhaps see the missionary connection already. Christmas is a missionary holiday. Our God is a missionary God. His gift to His Son was a missionary gift. And as we open our treasures, what better gift to give to our King, both at Christmas and at every other time of the year, than to open our treasures and give Jesus gifts that will support those people who are out in the world as the Father's hands and feet, bringing the nations to Jesus as His inheritance. All Christmas long, you see the, the, the mail trucks and the UPS trucks and the FedEx trucks bringing gifts to people's doorsteps, right? Well, who brings the gifts to the Son of God that were sent Him, promised Him by His Father? It's the missionaries, right? They're the truck drivers. They're the delivery men. And we're so thankful for them. And so what better Christmas tradition than to imitate these first Christmas gifts, to give of our treasures with these wise men so that with our Heavenly Father we might present to Jesus the gift of the nations. I'm so glad for that tiny little missionary woman in whose name our Christmas offering is named, Lottie Moon who 126 years ago this month suggested to Southern Baptists that we take a special Christmas offering for world missions and to support our missionaries. Such an offering is eminently worthy, she noted, of this season of giving gifts. And that's why we call it the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. And I just want again this morning to unashamedly urge you to give to this offering. I want to unashamedly urge you during this month of December to put as much money as you can into those little brown envelopes and the pew backs in front of you. 100% of it goes to support the missionary truck drivers, those people who are bringing to the feet of Jesus his gifts from his Father. It supports their personal needs and their work, and there are nearly 5,000 of those International Mission Board missionaries out there delivering Jesus his gifts. Among them are David and Tiffany in Central Asia and the Epps family in the Amazon basin of Brazil. They're doing the greatest work in the world, serving on the front lines with our Heavenly Father as his instruments, as his delivery men and women to give King Jesus the nations as his inheritance. And, says the Apostle John, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Isn't that exciting? As we support such men, 
as we open our treasures, we become fellow workers with the truth. We too become involved in the greatest work in the world, that of gathering God's redeemed from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. That's the greatest work in the world. None of the movers and shakers in New York or Washington or London or Brussels or Baghdad or Beijing, none of them are doing anything half so important as the no-name missionary working among the hidden people in Nepal or Egypt or the Amazon and bringing Jesus his gifts. And in New York and Washington and London and Brussels and Baghdad and Beijing and Cincinnati, the people who are making the most eternal impact are the simple believers whose great joy it is to live for and to tell others about Jesus. Therefore, we ought to support such men. Therefore, we ought to open our treasures and through our missionaries present to Jesus lavish gifts like those wise men so long ago. Christmas is about missions. And Christmas is a time for giving gifts. So why not make it your great joy to bring those two things together? Why not teach your children and grandchildren this different sort of Christmas tradition? Teach them that at Christmas... In the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then teach them practically by your own giving that there is more real joy and there is much more eternal good in giving to missionaries than in having a big chunk of plastic under the tree, which by next Christmas will be on the goodwill pile. Why not agree husbands and wives, that you need not be so lavish with one another at Christmas as you are with Jesus and his missionaries, but rather open your treasures for something much more valuable. It doesn't only and always have to be through Lottie Moon, incidentally, but I tell you, this offering is a great opportunity to get Christmas right, to get the biblical picture right, and to rid yourself, incidentally, of all the commercialism that we all complain about and yet perpetuate by our yearly decisions. And most of all, the missions offering is a great opportunity to be lavish with Jesus and to do what we can to join with our Father in giving his Son the nations as his inheritance. And let me point out, too, that there are other ways, in addition to opening our treasures, in which we can bring Christmas and missions together. Is it too much of a stretch to notice that one of the gifts the wise men brought was that of incense, which is symbolic in the Bible of the prayers of the saints? I think that's interesting to notice, just as the soothing aroma of incense rises to the sky, so the prayers of God's people, the book of Revelation tells us, ascend to heaven as a fragrant aroma before the Lord. Incense is a picture of prayer, and one of the gifts that the Magi brought to the Lord Jesus was a kind of incense. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that the wise men buy this gift knew that and were trying to symbolize prayer. 
More likely, they just thought frankincense would make a nice gift. Nor am I suggesting that this is really the sort of hidden meaning of the text, that if we really understand the frankincense, that we'll realize that this is all about praying for missionaries. I'm not saying that either. I'm simply saying that as I think of what I can give to the Lord, I notice that there was incense laid at his feet that first Christmas time. And that makes me think of how incense in the Bible is like prayer. And that makes me think of how one of the things I have to offer to the Lord, one of the treasures that he has put in my box that can be taken back out and laid at Jesus' feet is the incense of my prayers. One of the ways that I can join the missionaries in bringing the nations to Jesus as his inheritance is to offer up prayers for those missionaries. Like soothing incense to God's throne room on high and to offer up prayers not only for the missionaries but for the people groups and the tribes and the tongues of this world. I hope you'll do the same. I hope you will pray for our missionaries. Pray for the hidden peoples of this world. In terms of our missionaries, each week a different family is pictured on the back of your bulletin. And each week, the same family is highlighted at our 9 o'clock prayer meeting, and a sheet is made available then with specific prayer requests that can be prayed for them. And they would all say to us, I think, with that great missionary, the Apostle Paul, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly and be glorified. So will you pray for them? Will you, this Christmas and all throughout the year, add the incense of your missionary prayers to the gifts of the wise men? Will you open up your treasure and give to Jesus the gift of your prayers? Will some of you give him the gift of your very selves? Yes, we can only give to missionaries and pray for missionaries if there actually are missionaries, right? And there will only be missionaries if people like you and me, adults and children, there will only be missionaries if people like us, some of us, go and be the missionaries. Some of us perhaps need to go to the east, just like God sent that Christmas star long ago to retrieve some of his gifts. Some of us need to go to the east so that like that star, we may guide others right to the feet of our Savior. Isn't that what the star did there in verse 9? After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And isn't that what missionaries do? They go to the east or to the north or to the south, and they shine like stars in the darkness and guide men and women to the place where they can meet Jesus. Now again, I'm not suggesting that this is the hidden meaning in Matthew chapter 2. I'm not saying that the story of the Magi is really all just an allegory in which the Christmas star is obviously a symbol of missionaries. I'm just, again, as with the incense, seeing something in this passage that reminds me of missions and missionaries. And in fact... The stars are a metaphor in the Bible of how Christians point to Christ in the darkness of the world. Let me read you Philippians 2, 14 and 15 in the New International Version. Do everything without grumbling or arguing 
so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. That admonition, of course, is for every Christian. We all ought to shine like stars in the sky in a warped and crooked generation. But some of us, some of us must take our light like that great star of old to the east or to the north or to the south where we may shine brightly for Jesus and lead many souls right to the place where he is. Some of us need to give Jesus the gift of ourselves as stars, as missionary volunteers. So we've considered two sets of gifts so far on that first Christmas, both of which have application to world missions. There was the gift of God to his only begotten son of the nations as his inheritance, a gift which he is still lavishing on him today through the work of missions. And then there were the gifts of the Magi opening their treasures to Jesus, gifts which we may imitate by giving the gold of our pocketbooks and the incense of our prayers on behalf of our missionaries and gifts which we may also imitate by giving our very selves as the missionaries. But then, of course, we must go back now and consider in more depth a gift which we mentioned briefly at the beginning, a gift which is the greatest gift of all, not the gifts that were given to Christ, but the gift that was made of Christ by the Heavenly Father to a lost and dying world, to a crooked and perverse generation, to the people who walk in darkness, namely to us. That's the greatest gift because of its great value. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God so loved the world, even in spite of our worldliness and our sin, that he presented us with the gift of his son, his only son, whom he loves, Jesus. The son of God who was worshipped in heaven by myriads of angels was given to earth to be worshipped by a small band of wise men and a straggle of smelly shepherds. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father and who surely sat on a throne in heaven's inner court was given to Bethlehem and laid in a bed of straw. This one who is outstanding among 10,000 and whose character is as white and pure as the snow on the ground this morning was given to sinners and made to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the greatest of all gifts, isn't it? That God loved us while we were yet sinners and gave us his only begotten son, not only to live among us as Emmanuel, God with us, but also to die among us and for us as Jesus, who saves his people from their sins. Have you received this gift? Have you ever in your life reached out the hand of faith and received Jesus as the Savior that God sent him to be? Have you repented of your sin and trusted Jesus alone 
that he, by his sinless life and by his substitutionary death and by his resurrection on the third day, can save you from your sin, can forgive you, can make you right with God, can secure for you a home on high where you shall always be with the Lord. Have you trusted Jesus alone to do those things? Do you truly believe in the Lord Jesus? Have you received him as God's great Christmas gift? To you, the sinner. And if not, what better time to receive God's gift than during this season of Christmas? So believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I plead with you this morning, children and adults, if you have never done so before, believe in the Lord Jesus today. Receive God's great Christmas present to the world today, namely his only begotten son. And when you do so, you will discover wonderfully that you are a part of God's gift to his son, that you yourself are a part of the nations that God is giving to Jesus as his inheritance. Isn't that amazing? When you receive God's gift of his son to you, the sinner, you awaken to the fact that you are part of God's gift to his son. So believe in the Lord Jesus today. Receive God's gift to you today. And once you've done that, once you've received the gift of God's son, don't you think that you will want as many people as possible to receive the same free gift as you have? If you heard that one of the stores in Cincinnati was giving away free iPhones or free iPads, I would hope you would call me and tell me, right? I actually probably would get sucked into those things, but I would hope that you would call someone and say, hey, down at such and such a place, they're giving away free iPhones. All you have to do is come and ask. If you get a gift and it's available to all and sundry, don't you want to tell all and sundry? Don't you want as many people as possible to be blessed? Once you've received Jesus, don't you think you'll want to give him away to others who desperately need him too? That's what the whole missionary thing is about, isn't it? Giving Jesus to others who need him as desperately as you do. And so along those lines, listen to the logic of that lovely missionary Lottie Moon. This is what she wrote to Southern Baptists in the Foreign Mission Journal in December 1887. This is how she went about suggesting this Christmas offering that we now call by her name. Is not the festive season when families and friends exchange gifts in memory of the gift laid on the altar of the world for the redemption of the human race the most appropriate time to send forth the good tidings of great joy into all the earth? Let me read it again. Is not the festive season when family and friends exchange gifts in memory of the gift laid on the altar of the world for the redemption of the human race, is this not the most appropriate time to send forth the good tidings of great joy into all the earth? In other words, she says that the logic of giving Christmas gifts lies in a commemoration of the gift that God has given us in Jesus 
And if that's the central reason why we want to give Christmas gifts, to remember the gift of God's Son, then what better Christmas gift can we give, she says, than to give the message of this Son to a lost and dying world? What better Christmas gift can we give than to give the message of Jesus away, especially to those who've never heard? And what better way for those of us at home to give that gift than to wrap up our monetary treasures in the brown wrapping paper in the pew backs in front of us to be given to those who deliver Jesus' gifts to his feet and who deliver God's gift to the nations. People are still coming from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south to worship he who has been born king of the Jews. They are still being gathered from the lands. God is still at work in the world, giving to his son the nations as his inheritance. These few magi, ambling in from the east, have in these last 2,000 years been followed by a mighty river of humanity, fed from streams of thousands of different people groups, and flowing into an ocean of praise that we will hear someday, finally, and that we will join one day in heaven. In that day, there will be, Revelation 7, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is God's gift to His only begotten Son. And you and I are part of the gift if we know Jesus. He has wrapped us in clean garments. He has wrapped us in white and presented us to his son as a gift. And we have the great privilege also by the opening of our treasures to the cause of missions and through the incense of our missionary prayers and some of us by giving our very selves to the cause of missions, we have the tremendous privilege of chipping in, as it were, on God's gift to his son. Would you join me in doing that this Christmas? As it is written, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever.